This episode of the Good and the Bad and the Geeky podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com forward slash goodbadgeeky. Audible.com, over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Warning! The podcast you're about to hear is very filthy. We say naughty words you would use as an adult anyway. It'll cause you not to eat your vegetables, and your mom generally thinks it's a bad idea. Any moment of the show that has any similarity to the history of any person living or dead, real or fictional, to real events are entirely unintentional and coincidental. Unless we're specifically noted otherwise in the cast and crew credits, all celebrity voices are impersonated, and new celebrity has endorsed any aspect of the show. D4K Studios in Columbus, Ohio. It's the good, the bad, and the geeky. Hey everyone, welcome out to episode 190 of the good, the bad, and geeky. I'm Nick Nitro, and with me on tonight's episode, we have uh, Chris from thetvking.com. The TV King himself. Chris, welcome out to the show, man. Hi, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah. Um, we've been waiting to do this for a while, but I thought, why not a better way to get you on and, th- and then uh, then talk about a show from uh, – because you're uh, very obviously not from America. You're from Great Britain, um, which is where the home of Doctor Who, which you know I am now a gigantic fan of. And uh, yeah. I-, I thought, why not have, have you on? We can talk about this mini – I guess you would call it a mini run of Doctor Who, but they've been doing this for the past few years, haven't they? Yeah, it's UK TV is weird if you're used to American TV because of our, the way that our series or seasons work. They're not the standard format that you'd expect in America, and we usually get like six episodes or five episodes or four episodes at a time broken up and spread around the year. Yeah. I, um, and then the new Doctor Who has been on since 2005, which is when I first took because it wasn't on that I was aware of when I was a kid. So I never really got into it until 2005. Well, neither neither did I, uh, to be honest, because uh, here in the states we have the we have PBS published broadcasting, and uh, they would always air Doctor Who, but it would always it would be like and you would see the the guy with the long scarf, which would be like Tom Baker, Tom Baker, I believe, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it just looked like and I, and I hate to say it like this, but it felt like the poor man's Star Trek, and if you watch the original Star Trek, it that was already a poor man's sci-fi. <laughs> I'm talking about the original series where they really didn't have, you know, it was there was not a lot of budget and sci-fi was a new thing back then in terms of TV, um, you know. But then, especially in contrast to the movie Star Wars, and then even the movies of, or yeah, I meant the movies of Star Trek, it just felt like yeah, very poor man's version of. Uh, and the thing is that uh, uh, Jimmy or Jerome, uh, he's getting all the DVDs and reviewing some of the older Doctor Who stuff slowly but surely, and. He's actually like some of them are really good. I mean, granted, the effects are really horrible, but he's like they're they're really surprisingly good. And that just I don't know. I, I think it's because I I am a bit of a, a weirdo when it comes to older movies, you know, especially especially with acting choices. So like, if you show me uh, an old movie from the fifties, I will probably not like it in general, unless yeah, it has I've got a similar sort of thing where I like these sort of you see the old black and white films and. Even though the the great films and stuff, I can't kind of get my head around the sort of poor 
tend to be sound quality or vision quality or the special effects where you can see the bits and pieces. Oh, yeah. However, having said that, with the old Doctor Who's, I've never seen any of them. Oh, and wow. then Netflix in the UK have got the entire back catalogue. Mm-hmm. So after seeing the Angels in Manhattan, I went back and watched the very first Doctor Who, which was black and white, and the Doctor was with his granddaughter, and she was in school, and the teachers in school thought she was weird because she knew all this advanced stuff but couldn't get the basics and <laughs> arguing them about science and things because they didn't understand all the stuff. And even though it's black and white, there's not really many much special effects. Oh, wow. I thought the script was really good because it, it drew you in and there were, what, I think there were half an hour each? Yeah, I think so. And like um, I've seen with Jimmy's reviews, they, or the old, doc, the early on Doctor Who's, they did multiple episodes, but they were all part of a single story. Oh, okay. So the, I think the first, I think the first series was, uh, I think it was four or five episodes, like four or five half-hour shows that all ran to create a complete story. And it was obviously when you can watch them on Netflix and back them up, or bo- watch them on DVD and watch them back to back, it ties together really well. And I thought it, they didn't do much. There wasn't much action. They went back in time, and there was uh, these cavemen trying to start a fire by rubbing two bones together and complaining about, well, you can't be the leader because you can't start a fire there for <laughs> and all this sort of stuff. Um, but it was, I thought it was quite well put together. And obviously me watching it now, being used to watching a lot of American TV, mm-hmm. British accents, even for me, it was like the kind of speaking properly in English, like the Queen's English, like they used to be on TV with the newsreaders and things where they'd sit in a dinner jacket and read the news. <laughs> Real throwback. Oh man! Well, I, I just uh, I'll have to I'll have to because I think I I have added all the Doctor Who's, but like right now my Netflix queue is like 180 deep, um, and I and that's including even though I've seen it all on Netflix, that's how I watch Doctor Who is after my uh, surgery. I literally had nothing to do all day but watch TV um, and not move from my recliner because it was painful. So I would literally I just watched coupling. At my at my boss's request, um, he always kept talking about, oh, see this Stephen Moffat guy. He he writes this great show called Coupling. You should watch it. And he would always tell me about the stacking of the glasses uh, by Richard Cole. And I'm like, okay. Richard Cole was like the Kramer-like character. And I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 sure. And then I watched it. And I'm like, this is actually pretty decent. It's pretty funny. And then I was like, well, I'm going to take the plunge into Doctor Who. And about and I was okay, it was okay up until right up until uh Bad Wolf. Uh the the actual accumulated to the actual Bad Wolf storyline came to its peak, which is uh Captain Jack came back and that was that whole thing and and then I was actually mortified to learn that Chris Eccleston was leaving Doctor Who because again I, I I didn't follow that stuff. I knew David Tennant or some guy replaced the the first doctor that we see, which is actually the ninth, but you know what I mean? I, I didn't know and then, but then when Tenet showed up, I didn't like him up until the final battle, um, where I mean, at that point, Tenet became like I was like, oh god, I love this guy, because Eccleston, I didn't really know what to think of the, his version of the Doctor up until towards the end, and then at that point, I completely embraced what the show was and the Doctor, and then when Tenet showed up, oh man, it was just awesome. I I loved it, and then Smith. Uh, Matt Smith was um, – I didn't like his version of the Doctor because I – mean, here's, well, here's the other thing that this is really weird is that I watch Craig Ferguson. I don't know if – do they show Craig Ferguson, the late, late show over there, like on syndication? Um, it's, it's weird. It's the late, late show and a lot of other similar ones like with Conan and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We don't really get them over here. We get occasional ones. We got the, the, the Daily – one of the 
TV channels over here picked up the Daily Show with John Stewart for a while, okay. but it never really takes off because it's it's kind of really American. So a lot of the stuff doesn't get people don't get it over here. And with them having almost like a, it's almost every day, and it? it's what three days a week, four days a week, some of the shows. Yeah, yeah, it's quite difficult to fit them in the schedules, and I don't think they really they'd really fly so much over here. There'd be people who love American TV and who are really into it who'd watch them, mm-hmm. but I guess they're going to be really niche. So, well, for example, shows like Breaking Bad, Rescue Me, Chuck, all got dropped over here, Californication, because they don't get the viewers. Oh, wow. Um, um, but I think that's partly because bad they were on the wrong channels, they were on the wrong time slots, and they just didn't get the sort of <laughs> respect, but kind of they didn't get pushed to the right audience. They, I don't know how they didn't f- fly, but they were everything just seemed slightly wrong for them. Oh, man. Well, that's so, so it's interesting to hear that uh, the same quality shows over here are finding an equally difficult time of, on an audience over there <laughs> because some of those shows, well, Breaking Bad, not so much, but Chuck, for example, I mean, it, it, that was a show I love it dearly, but it barely, it, it continuously barely hung on up until its final season. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah. It, so I find that interesting, but I, I love the show Eli Stone and I remember that they aired that over there and apparently, uh, I remember someone, uh, was blogging saying it was actually a modest hit overseas, but it wasn't. An, an, but it wasn't enough to help them bring the show back or something like that. Because especially with Johnny Lee Miller being from the UK initially, for some yeah. reason, it, it, the people ate the show up. But it, over here, it just, oh God, sadly, it didn't go well. But um, no, the, the, that happened with Pan Am last year. Oh really, Pan uh, Am? Be- who was who was yeah, British in Pan Am? I'm sorry, not to interrupt, but who was British in Pan Am? I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, nobody. Oh, it was nobody. the Australian Margot Robbie who oh. on a, who was on a soap in Australia, who which the soap in Australia neighbours gets a bigger viewing audience in the UK than it does in its homeland of Australia. Oh, okay. And I think that's because the British audience see there's a lot of expats, obviously, from the UK out in um, Australia, and the British audience see. Neighbours is kind of um, an idealistic of, oh, we can go live over there and you live in a community and it's all nice and happy and everything goes along nicely. Yeah, okay. And so obviously she she was well known over here for that. <laughs> it was on Pan Am. But it did really well across all of Europe and it won a, it won, um, a Palm d'Or, which is like one of the top sort of, I'd never heard of it until it won it. And people are saying, well, it's won this award in Europe. Yeah, ABC are just canning it. And oh, man. it struggled a bit in the UK towards the end because the BBC picked it up and ran it on a Saturday night, which I thought was a bit strange. It should have been a Sunday. It's more of a Sunday night type show. Yeah. I would have thought to get its audience, but it ran it on a Saturday night and sort of bounced it around the schedule when it, once it knew that it wasn't going to get picked up for a second season. But the BBC did that with loads of great US shows. Oh, um, well, we did it with Mad Men. It had it on its sort of, we have what's called a, like a digital service. Uh huh. So you have like basic cable and premium cable. Right. We have the main sort of broadcast channels, which was five channels originally. Right. Then they brought in digital TV. So then we got up to like 70 channels, most of which was rubbish. So there was shopping channels in there. There was special sort of service channels, text channels. And then we got a few, we got a few more channels. And then there's Sky or Virgin, which is our version of like premium cable. Uh-huh. So BBC put on their like digital service Mad Men and they bounced it around. They bounced Heroes around. They bounced 24 around until they lost it. Oh, um, and the BBC tend to do it because they're a public service broadcaster. 
they yeah. tend to like the little see um little sort of six or seven episodes where they can put them in and then they can do the sort of current events current affairs public service tv sort of content around that whereas when you get a big american series of 24 episodes it's difficult for them to do because they don't usually schedule long-running things unless it's sort of um sort of panel shows or even comedy panel shows tend to be quite small and they tend to have two seasons within a year i think qi is one of the longest running uh shows isn't it in terms of like a panel show yeah it has it's still i think it's only 10 episodes per season oh yeah but i mean it's still very short yeah yeah they're all quite short but they might have two seasons in a year like top gear and things like that they'll have oh well we're doing five or six episodes in the spring and we'll do another five or six in the autumn and they'll kind of package them into seasons as in autumn spring winter summer whereas obviously in the u.s you get your fall season which is all the way from september october around through to april may uh, well we can tend to get these smaller packages well do you being that you are a connoisseur of both uh, uh uk and u.s television what do you prefer more do you prefer the tighter well i mean the overall uh style of how uh the uk television shows are done which is six episodes Usually there's a bit more of a thorough plot line in some cases where you prefer the U.S. version, which is sometimes meandering, case of the week mostly, but then, you know, uh, 24, 22 to 24 episodes. I like the one in the middle, which is the U.S. cable. U.S. cable, where they yeah. have a full season, but they split it up in the middle, kind of like what you were saying with QI or Top Gear when they show yes, it. Yes, if I did a list of like my best, my favorite shows, most of them, would be things like Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy, where you've got 10 to 13 sort of fairly tight episodes that are run consecutively. And then you have the long break and then you go on. Because uh, we always get that. I think that's where a lot of the hit US shows struggle in the UK is because you have that time difference. And obviously when you've got a full season, say something on Fox or NBC, and it has all the hiatus in the middle, of, and it have one week off or a couple of weeks off of Thanksgiving or Halloween or whatever. Mm-hmm. People over here, because we don't have those holidays, see them as, well, why is it off for a week? Or And then a UK network will say, well, we don't want to have those gaps in the middle. We want to run it all consecutively. So they'll delay showing a fall show until January so that they can show it 20 weeks in a row. So then people go online and stream it and they don't then watch on TV. So I think that's where some of the ratings struggle for niche shows where we're so far behind in time. Um, but I prefer this sort of, more compact versions mm-hmm. with the U- with the British comedies and general TV shows where we only have six episodes. You do see it's like one. Ra- it seems to give the impression of it's one writer's vision, and that was their vision for six episodes. And they've got a full plot line and they've outlined it all, and it's pretty packed in. Right. And I know I know Jimmy doesn't like the crime procedurals. Yeah, he really. I mean, he doesn't even give him a shot in some cases, or he seems to be very pretty. And again, that's fine. I mean, I have my dead set things I'm against too, so I, I can't be too judgmental on him. But yeah, he he won't very give give something shows a shot. He already goes in with blinders on, so to speak, as we all do sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Well, stuff like that on uh, CBS it does seem to have the effect of you've got a big writers room where everybody's chucking in ideas, and you kind of one week we're doing this, then another week. Whereas the British ones, because they're so tight, right. In, not only time, but also budget. I don't know if you ever, did you ever watch Spooks? Uh, uh, or well, here it's known as MI5. And I well, well, I yeah. added it in there because my mom loves. Oh my god, who's the guy in that? He was in Death at a Fu- Death at a Funeral. Um, 
the lead, the older guy um, plays Harry. I think so. I think so. Yeah, he 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 ended up uh, losing his wife or something, and he last time you saw him, he went out into the ocean to kill himself, and then I think he came back like in the last season. Or like, oh no no no! Yes, I know what you mean. Um, is it Rupert Penry Jones? Uh, I think it's I think it's Rupert I think it's Rupert Jones. I, I could be incorrect on that, but um, my mom absolutely adores him, and I I remember hearing about the show, and I remember like, mom, Hugh Laurie's in it, shows up for a bit. Uh, your favorite guy, he's like the lead character. Um, I got my mom to watch Kingdom because I'm a big Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie fan, so I watch them in anything. And I was like, the one guy, the one girl from uh, uh from Kingdom is in there. I think, and there's all these other actors. So I added it to my queue because I share my Netflix queue with my parents, and uh, and she watched it all in like a month. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that me, ran for oh, sorry, nine. Ahead. I think it ran for nine years in the end, and the final season they got well. It was kind of coming to its end. It was I'd kind of plug it as our version of Twenty Four. So it was lower budget, uh, slightly smaller storylines, and the last season it was kind of well. We've run out of budget. We need to cut the budget. And there was lots of things about there were the the sort of any explosions or anything like that were shot at certain angles because they didn't have the budget to go all out. Okay. So it was very it was very tight, but it was the lead character Rupert Penridge. The he isn't the mainstay of the show. I, obviously, you know, he disappeared and then came back for the last season. Um, the sort of the main sort of work task force, the main agents changed throughout. Which was nice, and my in my opinion, I think that's sort of nice because there's no agent that ever. And, and if it was realistically, I mean, there are some that will stick around forever, but you, usually they're not like the leads or whatever. Um, yeah, it was more like it reminded me somewhat in that sense of James Bond. We had Harry, who is equivalent to M, who sits in the office and is the big boss, and he's there throughout. <laughs> and then you've got the sort of tech people, who kind of like your cue from James Bond, and they're there throughout. But your actual people who are going out and getting the chance to get you killed, you're changing your actors much like they have to change James Bond. But in that sort of fashion where they're having to change the people who are actually in danger or get psychologically fucked up, that they can't carry on for whatever reason. And by the way, it's Matthew McFadden who played Tom Quinn. That was who my mom absolutely adores. Ah, and Tom uh, Quinn, right, yes. There's um, Rupert Penry Jones, I think, was on later on. I think he's got no, one yeah. there. He is, yeah. He was, he was, he was in it for a lot longer. He played Adam Carter. Uh, 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 by the way, I'm not just pulling this from my ass. This is from Internet Movie <laughs> Database because I, I, because it was going to really bother me if I didn't find out who the fuck Matthew McFadden was because, uh, no, because I like he's a good actor. I, I like him as well. I like, I like. Well, that's the thing. I well, see. The thing is, it's really funny is that you sort of talk about there's sort of the middle, like the cable show. Me, on the other hand, I, I, I maybe Jimmy will agree with this. I prefer the even for crime per se, or maybe it's just more for case of the week shows because USA seems to be more USO USO USA show seems to be more based on case of the week stuff. And yeah, CBS particularly, but like even Chuck, uh, which is an NBC show, um, ABC. A lot of those shows are—they really are all case of the week. They're just in sheep's clothing with something else, you know. And some of them might do a better job at sort of saying, "Oh, we got an ongoing storyline going on this week." And but sometimes I, I think it's the grass is greener on the other side kind of thing, which is I would love to just see him. I would love to have a six-episode season of Chuck, where it's a really well-told, complete story. Then um, now, granted, that means I get less Chuck, which makes me sad. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I would appreciate that a whole heck of a lot more if they – because uh, uh, a season a show I just started watching, I only started season one, and it was fantastic, was Luther. And the thing is, is yeah, I, yeah. 
I love, uh, I, I'm going to say his name wrong, Iris Elda. I think he's a wonderful actor. I it's even before Thor, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm that kind of nerd. Which is, if you don't show up in a comic book thing, usually, then I don't know who you are. Sometimes, but uh, I've seen him before in other projects, in other movies, just as at least in the U.S. as sort of side characters, and uh, as a side character. And I heard he was coming out with this new amazing BBC show. Wait till it hits the the states. And then of course, I don't have BBC America with due to my cable plan. And if I would pay an extra, I think, 20 bucks for just one network, I don't do that unless it's like HBO. And even then, I was almost canceling my HBO kind of thing there for a bit um, until almost every show they have one now I watch. But uh, so I didn't really find the justification in that. Um, no offense to BBC America shows because I love Doctor Who a lot. I just there are other ways I can obtain the shows. Um, like Netflix, uh, <laughs> legally. Yeah. Uh, but Luther came on, on, on Netflix, and so I watched it, uh, even though I had it in my queue for, God, like two years now. And I finally watched it, and it's fantastic. And season two has been added on there, but I, with the new season, so I don't have time for it. But I, I really love that it's a, it is a sort of a case of the week kind of show, but there's the ongoing thread, and it's really well flushed out. And I, I just, I love that. And I wish some shows would really, you know, take their time and do that because sometimes and that's the other thing too is that in bbc shows even even if they are longer like 13 episode arcs uh in some shows i I really like it that they're still uh uh what's the word i'm looking for there's a real sense of danger that something or someone could die while in a u.s show like i was talking to someone the other day uh to my father I got him in the show Person of Interest, which comparatively by other CBO show, CBS shows, it's a lot better. I mean, it's... I've started watching. I've just start, we've just got Person of Interest over here, and I've started to get into it. Yeah. It's, it's the kind of the bigger backstory behind how they've got to what they're doing and why they're really doing it. There seems to be something hidden behind it. We're only about four or five episodes in. I actually missed last night's because my crappy DVR didn't record it properly. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, I've I've got the DVRZ Play TV for the PlayStation. Oh yeah, and to say shit isn't a word. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's appalling. They made me pay for an upgrade on the software to get Series Link, which you'd which you'd expect to be pretty standard across a DVR. Uh-huh. And it oh, it screws up something shocking. You're pretty. I don't know whether it might possibly be the aerial connection where when it loses signal for a fraction of a second, it kind of. The old whole thing crashes and the picture crashes and the streaming yeah. crashes and then it decides to corrupt the entire queue of series link that you've set up and it's it's oh, nightmare. And I don't and I don't think PlayStation will bother it. I think they've realised it's crap and kind of knocked it on the head. But let it go. It's annoying as hell. And well, being sort of a techie person, mm-hmm. you kind of want to go. Oh well, I can fix that because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> when you guys are pain in the ass. Oh man. Well, uh, but, the thing about persons of interest, though, I will say is that um, there are there are. There are very few shows on CBS that I actually think that started off out of the gate, and now they're sort of becoming what I don't like. Um, but Person of Interest and Hawaii Five-0 are both shows that, um, like Hawaii Five-0 had this really great mystery starting off of who was behind, why was Wofat after, what was uh, McGarrett's dad, why was he killed, and why did they bring McGarrett back? And it sort of started this, and now it's starting to this weird you're not you're doubling back on what you set up before it doesn't make any sense oh and that actually that was what i was complaining about it wasn't just persons of persons of interest um if you keep watching persons of interest there is one of the one of the cops and one of the two cops uh i forget their names because there's reese and there's finch and i forget the two cops names but uh one of the cops gets themselves in way over their head to the point where 
the logical conclusion is they need to die. And I don't I say well, that in no disrespect the to the actor. Cop, the female cop has come up and she was on last night's, which I haven't seen yet. Yeah. So she's come up her number came up last um in the last episode and therefore it should be tonight's episode. Well, I'm so not gonna ruin it for you that, in terms of that. But how that if it might be because the number comes up, but I, I something that, that Finch and Reese do working with those two cops, like the inevitable conclusion is is that Especially for the story arc, because when you hear when you when you start getting towards the end, this, at least to me, and maybe and, and uh, you know, Jimmy didn't watch all of season one because he started feeling like it was not it was too procedural, um, and then he caught up on reruns I think a, like a few weeks ago, and he's like, it's actually not bad. I should have just kept watching it. If I remember, I could be wrong, but I do know that he did tape the rest of the first season so he could watch season two because he heard good things about it. So uh, but I swore he said he enjoyed most of it, um, but. Uh, my thing was the inevitable. Do you guys have Boardwalk Empire there? Yeah, that's on uh, Sky Atlantic. I've only ever seen the first episode, and I was I quite liked it and got into it, but I've just never got around to finishing it off because I know that's got renewed for a fourth season and yesterday. Yeah. Um, well, do you know one of the spoilers already about one of the main characters? I want to be very delicate how I say this, so that's why I was asking. But um, I'll say no because I've probably forgotten. Okay. Good. Well. Let's just say that let's just say that a big game changer is okay, matter of fact, well, I mean, this is a bad example because again, I've not seen the show to purposely comment on, but like say Spooks is that uh one of the characters, like again, this is wrong, but say Tom Quinn played by Matthew McFadden, the inevitable conclusion of the end of the season is that he's been playing double agent for so long that he he's gonna get killed. You know what I mean? That's the next logical step. Or if he doesn't get killed, someone close to him does. You know what I mean? Which probably I think might have actually happened. Cause it's, it's similar to um, Spooks or MI5 in that uh, Lucas North, who yeah. is well into the I think seventh or eighth season, he turns out to be, or it is from the start, I think, in fact, double agent. Or you're not sure whether he's a double agent or a triple agent. And then it's kind of comes to the same sort of conclusion that something's got to happen to him somewhere or the other. Right, and it's something that, and then say at the very end, because they got picked up, say it happened to be they got picked up for another season and another season, and like he's just still around, and you're just like, well, but the inevitable conclusion, why didn't you follow that? And then you, because U.S. television is like, oh, you can't do that because he's the lead character. That's why, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'll see, and I would, and I think that a BBC series would just take make the logical conclusion, like you know, he needs that character needs to go. I mean, nothing against the actor. Nothing against his character, but we've reached the next step. The next step is we have to move on beyond that character. Um, and sometimes it works out because apparently uh, Jesse from Breaking Bad, he said numerous times that the kid who's won awards for playing Jesse said that they were going to kill him off at the end of the first or second season, and they, they kept him alive. So sometimes that ends up being beneficial to the series. But again, that's, that's good writing. Other times, though, when you're doing like a major network show, like, uh, the, the thing that made me start bringing this up to my dad was we were walking Hawaii Five O, and season two ended with uh, the guy from Lost who plays Jen, who plays Jen on Hawaii Five O. His cousin is Grace Park from Battlestar Galactica, and he had to make a decision. He saves his wife or he saves his cousin. And they let it pretty much open that he saves his wife and his cousin drowns. And then because it's an American show, guess what? Spoiler. It's not really a spoiler because she's the main cast member. She survives. So, like, in the whole time you're watching, I'm like, you know, the bigger twist would be that they let Grace Park die. And that means nothing to the actress. I love Grace Park. 
but uh, it would be way more tragic that if that she died instead of the wife because it's just because no one cares about no offense to the actress who plays the wife no one cares about the wife we've only seen her like maybe five times and even then it's always at the beginning and the end of the episode for like maybe two minutes of screen time and we only care about her because Jen cares about her kind of thing and you're just like no yeah. smack him in the smack the writers in the face a few times Jesus Christ it's pissing me off. So, and, Bur- and Person of Interest does the same sort of thing a little bit at the end of the first season. Now, granted, I love that character, and I love the actor or actress So, uh, one, with, with one of those cups, so I, I'm not going to sp- say who it is, but it, it's a little disappointing. Now, granted, I love them a lot, and I'm very glad they're in season two, but at the same time, I, I just hope that that's what the inevitable conclusion for that character uh, is. But, uh, you know, I'm probably going to be proven wrong on that. And But I still love the show. It hasn't been like Hawaii Five-0, which is like, the mystery about Hawaii Five-0 is now doubled back on itself. makes no sense. Person of Interest is still going very strong, at least in the second season so far, of what the mystery is. Because as you're saying, there's a deeper underlying mystery of what everything, what's behind the, the computer system and Finch, for that matter. So it's at least for here. But um, Oh, but yes, Doctor Who. Uh, that relates to Doctor Who because, no. Uh, uh, the Matt Smith thing. I, I love Matt Smith a lot and because uh, we got a little off topic of, of, of Doctor Who. But um, yeah, just a little, just 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 a skosh. Uh Matt Smith is uh, someone who I greatly, I would watch Craig. The reason why I started this this whole thing started because I asked about Craig Ferguson, and is that before I actually watched any Doctor Who religiously on Netflix, is that Craig Ferguson, obviously growing up, you know, in Europe, Doctor Who for him growing up was a big deal, and so he would talk about it on the show. And as an American viewer, you know, watching a show, I love his sh- series, but. It would annoy me a little bit because I've never watched Doctor Who. And again, as I said, uh, my negativity towards it was it's the poor man Star Trek. I don't want to watch that. But then everyone says it's the new season's really, the new series is really good. I should give it a shot. And Craig just won't shut up about it. And so, and he would actually have Matt Smith and Karen Gillan uh, uh, on to to plug the show. And they also would have um, uh, the woman who plays uh, the doctor's wife. Uh, She was in ER for a few years. but I'm just saying he would have all these actors on to plug this show that was on BBC America um, and, you know, which I thought was very interesting enough. And the clips they would show always made me love Matt Smith. And then when I actually watched the first season of, of Matt Smith's Doctor Who, I didn't actually enjoy him as the Doctor until the very, very end. And I think the reason why, I could be wrong, and maybe you can offer your thoughts on this, is he wasn't supposed to be the Doctor that I wanted him to be because he was supposed to help Amy recreate the universe at the end so he had to act a certain way is that you think that might be a wrong conclusion to draw or am i just possibly i don't know i never for me the recent doctors so um eccleston tennant and smith have gone down in that order because obviously christopher eccleston was the first doctor i'd ever seen playing the doctor mm-hmm. and the last time i'd seen playing christopher eccleston was in one of my favorite films <laughs> gone in 60 seconds Oh, yeah. A sort of British guy having a go at Nicolas Cage about not understanding baseball and making coffins and all that sort of stuff. And I just thought he portrayed that character so well. And it was, I'd love to have sort of been in his situation where I say, I don't get this, I don't get this. Well, why are you in this country? Well, because I've been kicked out, I've been chased out of Europe sort of thing. And when he came in to play the Doctor, he had this sort of dark and brooding menace to him, which I kind of liked. Whereas it slowly got towards the Matt Smith, which is the sort of quirky, nerdy, sort of run around with his bow tie on and his 
he's a lot more jolly and a lot more friendly than Christopher Eccleston was. And I just kind of preferred the Christopher Eccleston sort of character. Mm-hmm. But I think this type of Doctor Who with Karen and Rory alongside the Doctor is a lot more sort of child-friendly. Yeah, I will which after agree all with is that. What the do- which, which is what Doctor Who is. It's sort of a, cha- a kid's show which has elements in for an adult audience. Right. And it kind of, most people pick it up in childhood, whereas because I hadn't seen it as a kid, the first time I was seeing it was with Chris Chuckers, Eccleston and Billy Piper, and it had that darker sort of menace to it, which I, which I enjoyed a lot more. I've enjoyed them all, but I prefer him and his way of playing the Doctor. Well, It took me a while to get used to both Ten and Matt Smith. Well, I, I will sort of agree with Tennant is that, I mean, even though I loved the actor at the end of that first Christmas episode uh, with that final fight, it was more um, probably the middle of the whole, the end of the first season of Tennant's run where they started playing up the possible romance between Tennant and Rose, uh, the Doctor and Rose, which I, I, I hate to say it, I'm I'm a fan of a good ship, a good relationship you know, storyline and um, you know, and then you have Billy Piper, who is smoking gorgeous, and David Tennant. Um, but I, I really like that Tennant played it up more like, uh, again, this is why I like Tennant a little bit, is that he was dark, but only when he wasn't, like, he, he was literally like, this, it's all an act kind of thing. And then when he's actually pushed to the limit, he, he goes just, he doesn't just go dark, he goes beyond fucking dark. Like, he will murder yep. you and your entire race kind of thing and because that becomes the whole subplot towards the end from donna especially which is doctor you can't be alone which i think is more of an interesting point which they they brought up again in the at the end of the matt smith version which is you know the doctor can't be alone and i'm just and i I, maybe it's me but i thought the last few episodes of of amy and rory were were actually a bit disappointing i mean they were really well told stories in terms of self-contained things but in terms of the ending arc of amy and rory um, I, I just thought it was a little disappointing. Like I, I wish it felt like they deserved, um, for those who don't know about Dr. Who, uh, when they ended tenants run, they did, was it four movies, standalone movies instead of like a full season? Um, and they, yeah, they, because they do the specials and the kind of dot it around and sometimes they might not be able to fit it in. And I guess people schedules and things. So they kind of do standalones, which we've got used to as, but I guess for people watching in America, it's kind of weird to see one episode randomly three months away from all the other episodes. Uh, I I can't speak for the rest of America, but I mean, I, I honestly enjoyed it a whole hell of a lot more because I'd rather have a well-told story than a, you know, a sort of hourly told shitty one. And, that, and that, again, no offense to the, the writers because, again, a standalone sci-fi episodes are quite entertaining. But in terms of the emotional payoff between Amy, Rory, and the Doctor, it was not as fulfilling as I wanted it to be. And a part of me deep down hopes and prays that Moffat has a a larger storyline involved so that Amy and Rory could maybe one day come back. Um, Because here's something I I don't get, and maybe they didn't explain it well, but the transfixed moment in time that the Doctor can't visit is, was it 1938 or whenever they died? Or whatever they get sent yeah. back to, but that doesn't. That only means that he can't visit that time in that location, correct? Or does that mean he can never visit the year nineteen thirty-eight? I took it to be that he could never visit New York using the TARDIS because River Song, which is played by Alex Kingston. Kingston, yes, there um, you go. 
she got there by using the same thing that Captain Jack used to time travel. You know, the thing on the wrist, I've forgotten what it's called. Yeah. Um, dimension equalizer or something. Um, so I guess that <laughs> he, he could therefore get back there if he could travel without the TARDIS. Well, that was my understanding. Well, here's so the there other... might Sorry, no, be that possibility. Well, the other thing that bothered me too is that. Uh, which you, I think you you picked up on as well, which is my point, was uh, he can't travel back to New York in 1938 in the TARDIS, which means why not go to Buffalo in the TARDIS, lock the TARDIS away, get on a horse and buggy or, or old yeah. car, and then travel to New York and find them that way. Like there's many ways around that, and I think that would be looked into because – or why not Amy and Roy just leave New York? And like maybe they go back to die in New York because that's – it's prophesized it's going to happen – but why not leave New York and go elsewhere so the doctor – it just – that's what I'm saying. There's, a, there's a, too many little plot holes here and there. And I know the doctor is very keen on, on sticking to – like because being a Time Lord, he's so in and out of everyone's lives and whatnot in terms of the grand scheme of things that it's really almost – even though it's us being humans, the, the, the argument probably could be for us it's a big deal. But for him, it's just a speck in the grand design. But so yeah. to him, he sees the larger picture, which is he can't go back. He can't change time. But why not? I think that's some of the things that that because remember, we wouldn't we, we were promised we would never see Rose Tyler again besides the general or it was even sort of said that you could never see the, the, uh, the doctor, the doctor and Rose together again. But she came back towards the end of Tenet's run. And not just besides the whole he saw her the day before the Christmas invasion episode where, where Eccleston showed up. He said his goodbye to yeah. her. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, she came through another dimension for fuck's sake to, to save the Doctor. And that's what I'm saying. There will be, I think there truly is a way to bring Amy and Rory back. And I just thought that in the grand, and also they introduced the father who, uh, oh my God, he's from, he, I, I noticed him in Harry Potter. He played uh, Ron Weasley's dad. Wonderful, wonderful actor, a great actor. And he really, I loved his character. And they had him in the last three episodes or last four episodes or so. Uh, dinosaurs in a space. They didn't have him in the final. Uh, well, they didn't have him in the final. That's right. I'm sorry, but but the, but they set it up that he's sort of giving the Doctor grief a little bit. It just I don't know. It just felt very like they're introducing. It's almost felt like the whole Donna thing over again, which is they're introducing the dad for something much larger down the line. But or that's what I'm ho- I'm, I'm sincerely hoping for because it felt like you introduced this great character, Rory's dad, and you and we all know as audience members that Amy and Rory's time is at an end. And so some of it, it feels like it's impactful, but the, the buildup to it doesn't feel as impactful. And again, though, maybe it's just because it's a sort of a sci-fi tr- children's show that maybe, but I, I guess some of my favorite episodes are written by Stephen Moffat, you know what I mean? Or have the guiding hand of yeah. Moffat in them. So I think that was what was a little disappointing to me is that, you know, I, like, cause I love the angels and that was something else that bothered me too. I, I just, I'm just now thinking of. When the doctor and his wife uh, were River Song were back to back to each other, and the angels were facing each other. Why didn't they just duck and run? Because if the angels see each other, remember they, they're looking at each other. That's how the doctor defeated them before. Why couldn't that stop them? That's one thing. Yeah, there were quite a few bits throughout. After watching it, I read a few comments and saw a few blogs and stuff, and I don't use it, but I thought, Sam, I'll have a look and see what I think. And there's quite a few bits throughout where you see people are looking at the angels and then the angels manage to transport people back in time. And you think they just didn't have that sort of feeling of menace. There seemed to be situations where the alien, uh, the aliens, the angels were in position 
to do something and it seemed too easy to slip away. Yeah. If that makes sense. And there seems to be quite a few like little loopholes where it was, oh, well, well, we need an angel over there in the corner. We need an angel here. So we'll put one in. It doesn't tie together. Oh, it doesn't really matter. It, it serves for an effect. And it just seemed a little too easy in some of the cases to get away from the angels. Right. And the other thing that bugged me too is that I thought in the episode Don't Blink they, that, that Tenet's doctor said that there was only like a few that landed on Earth that were that didn't that weren't at full power. So right. which means that that's they would they would refer to the time traveling option, which is the normal version is what we saw when they were on the uh, with the was it the first season uh, of Amy and Rory's run of, of which is Matt Smith's run too, which is where they're on that planet and like they'll kill you. Like, by, if yeah. they touch you, yeah. So I just felt like now, if they would have gone with the idea that they it's they could, instead of just feeding off one individual, they can continuously feed off you, that would have made more sense. That's why they do that. And the other thing that bugged me, too, is that maybe someone else commented about this, that the Statue of Liberty, I'm sorry. I mean, don't get me wrong, that's fucking cool as shit, okay? That's really fucking cool. Because it almost had a bit of, like, Ghostbusters in that for me, and... Not Ghostbusters 2, where they actually use the Statue of Liberty, like, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Like, what is that? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's getting closer. Like, a part of me, that's the thing is that, this is why it pissed me off so, is that Moffat's feeding into my geek tendencies, like, he probably's feeding into his, which is like, ooh, something big and awesome, fucking scary's coming. And he, we all know it's the, it's the Statue of Liberty. But how it, but then you go, no, I've been to New York before. You're always looking at the fucking Statue of Liberty. There's some fucker out there looking at the Statue of Liberty. How is, yeah, oh. I saw that, but my, and I also saw somebody say, well, they were able to turn off the lights, weren't they, the angels, and I, you've got a feeling of if they were able to shut down enough lights and sort of create the Statue of Liberty so it was in darkness, it would be able to move, but I guess it's kind of them things, well, fuck it, we're having the Statue of Liberty become an angel, yeah, right. we'll twist the story to fit what we want to happen, I would have loved to have seen it, the angel, I don't know, walking through the middle, sort of, not walking, obviously, but sort of transferring, sort of jumping through the middle of New York downtown, uh, through like a street, through right. the taxis and everything. That would have been a lot better than the sort of headshot that we got. Right, and that's the other thing too is that, okay, how did an angel get that fucking big? They never really get into that. Like, we always thought the angels were just the angels. But then at the end, there was the, the, the one statue of the boy and the lady. What, what the hell is that about? We didn't know. We always thought they only came in angel form. So now it's an issue of you're creating, which again, which is neat. You are building the universe a little bit more, which is I like that a lot. But that's why I'm saying I almost wish they had a like an actual two hour, like what Moffat and his crew does with Sherlock. Even though it's only three episodes per season or series, it's like two and a half hours. It's like a very well put together, told mystery story. Yeah. And that's we why get it on, we get the full ninety minutes, and that. There's some of the best shows that Luther and Doctor Who, but especially Luther and Sherlock, when you get a big run, you get an hour, an hour and a half straight through. It's all it's like watching a feature length film and that's what they've always said when they've been when the cast and crew have been interviewed about it, when they filmed it, it's like filming a feature length film right. as opposed to a short T V show because they're filming ninety minutes of content. Yes. And it's it's constant sort of pounding content. They don't let the story like drift <laughs> off for a while where they, while they just fill a few minutes. Exactly. And, and I, like, or at least I'll, I guess that's my complaint is why not the last two to three episodes be 
an actual 90 minute ep- a 90 minute episode and everything before that be because I I remember there was a uh, uh, people who used to talk about it uh, when I would get to MegaCon, Kevin Heyman, who does uh, the podcast Drawing Your Own Conclusions, uh, you can find on nightgig.com. They'll plug there for them because they plugged us a few times. But uh, he, Kevin Heyman, God love Kevin, him and JT talk about Doctor Who all the time. Matter of fact, even before Craig Ferguson, I, any talk I heard would come from those guys. And they love the Doctor. And I would, okay, yeah. Because uh, that was in my, oh, I don't like Doctor Who phase because I'm an idiot. Uh, but well, I had a... Oh, I don't like Lost phase as well. But, uh, oh, well, there, but, but, yeah, but, but see, there's possibly a better reason for that, <laughs> for Lost maybe. It was mainly because when I was at uni, all my, uh, I had a few friends who were like, oh, this show's Lost is great, you should get into it. And I was like, no, 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 it's rubbish. And I um, watched it back to back over a couple of weeks while watching nothing else on, on uh, Netflix. Now, I have to ask you, though, doing that, do you, did you, besides the epilogue, did you watch the epilogue on, online or something like that? where they answer some of the, the actual mystery questions. Yes. Yeah. There's sort of like little with Hurley and, and Walt and Ben. Yes. Yeah. Um, they, yes, I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Did you, I was left deflated as, a, as everybody said you would be. Um, oh really? Oh, because, okay. Because I thought the epilogue answered those questions for you, which I thought was nice, but I like, I love the ending of loss because and that was what I was going to ask is because, a lot of people still were saying were complaining about where did the polar bears come from, and that really just eats at me because they never sit there, hold your hand like you're in a nursing home, going, "Sweetie, honey, this is where the polar bears came from." You know, they came no, from. It was, over- it was the sort of the bit that I think I remember sending an email, sending a couple of emails back and forth with Jimmy. It was the kind of the bit where they were in the church and then deciding whether the, the you know the sort of overall that they never answered the question of were they actually the consciousness and were they between heaven and hell or were they well, actually in heaven or then did they come back to life and, you know, all that sort of... Well, they the sort of do sort of without was, telling you. The sort, of, the sort of polar bear thing to me was... And some of the other plot issues where people had, they were kind of non-issues, if you if you know what I mean. Well, that, that's why I'm trying to say is that a lot of people were complaining about... So like Now, some of the issues that were actual mysteries, like where did the hurlybird come from... Because that's a, I mean, that is somewhat a valid, a valid question because they did build the show up to be about the mysteries when, and then toward the last three seasons, it was all about the characters. I, I understand that what some of the frustration with that, but like one of the things that bugged me, which was a valid question until like you did, I watched it back to back to back to get, get ready for season six was where was, why, why was Sawyer and all of them working on, on that, that strip? And you realize that strip is the, is the airfield. Which is where yeah. they land and take – yeah, but they don't ever sit there and take your hand and tell you, like, this is why we're having them do that. Like, they never just clearly say that. But – and if you watch – wait, like, do the season break thing where you wait, like, almost a year for the next season to start, it's not going to be in your constant head unless you're, like, a mega fan. Like, I didn't pick up on it, and I saw each season as it aired after season two up until the end, and – I bought the Blu-rays and watched them all back to back to back to back right before season six started. And then I was like, oh, my God, that totally makes sense. And they never sat there, you know. But um, I, I think the thing – the epilogue did fix the burning question about the about if it's purgatory or not. But um, – which is the Whispers is purgatory. The island's not purgatory um, in, in terms of what we know is purgatory. But – the oh, they started up again. Can you hear that? Son of a bitch! See, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm actually, 
I've had to shut the window because we've got like, well, it's not gale force, but we've got a wind outside and it's kind of making a lot of noise. So no, but out control. Oh my god! But yeah, so uh, but yeah, no, I, I just I, that, that, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess also having a bit of a spiritual, uh, uh, I like spiritual things to a certain extent, which is it embraces not one, it embraces all spirit because. I think, like at the end of the day, if heaven or hell or something like that did exist, I would prefer it to be how lost is, which is, you know, we live together or truly, or we die alone, kind of thing. I think that just speaks yeah. to a very rudimentary, rudimentary thing, which I, I just find to be very fascinating. Which is, if that does happen and it does exist, I would like to transverse into the same way, which is all my friends are in one place and we're all interconnected to move forward to the next whatever it might be. I don't know that, that, that romantically it speaks to me on some deeper level, but um, but no, I just find it fascinating that you that when you watch it back, those questions didn't bother you. That that makes me very happy actually, because <laughs> someone... well, I think it was because I never see I wasn't having to wait till next week episode. Mm-hmm. So like some of the shows, especially with Twitter and things, if you watch a show, then you go on Twitter and you see what people are saying. It kind of for the next hour or so, you might be thinking in your head, well, what's happening there? What's happening here? Could this happen? Will this happen? With me, I was like, next, next, next. So you'd like, some days it was like 3 a.m. and I was like, shit, I've watched eight episodes back to that. Because <laughs> some of the some of the endings were such cliffhangers, you you didn't really want to let it go. You kind of, oh, I'll just watch the next one. I'll just not watch the next one. So you didn't get time really to sit back and ponder why did that happen? What did that happen? There were a hole there because usually you're on to the next episode and they've kind of explained away that question or that question has now become irrelevant. Right. And I think that's the difference between if you're getting... Because another show I've got the box of is The Shield. Yes. Because I've always, I'm a huge fan of Sons of Anarchy and then after knowing that Kurt Sutter and a lot of the actors who come on to Sons of Anarchy in various bits have been on The Shield and it's all kind of come out of that FX sort of production line. Mm-hmm. I then got that and then I've got really into that. But obviously with the DVD you're watching it back to back you can catch up clearly and I think that's where Christian shows live versus DVD it, they sit together better if you can watch two or three episodes in one shot whereas if, you, if you're waiting a full week it then starts to ask more questions and if, especially if you're watching it not as background TV you're actually paying attention and actually concentrating it then starts getting thinking about all these various plot, plot lines and possibilities for the show but also gets you more ingrained in the world that the creators have developed and have produced for you. Uh, do you guys have access to Terriers by FX? To what? It's called Terriers. Oh, Terriers. Uh, no, I've heard about Terriers. And that was one of the shows, much like Jericho, that they keep suggesting that it may be getting rebooted by Netflix or somebody might be going to create extra episodes at some point. Yeah. But no, I, I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Well, I, I, I'm actually the sound mind, and I, I mean, no disrespect to the guy who created the show. I think it's Sean Ryan, because um, I love Terriers. But I actually like the way it ended enough that I, I would not mind if it didn't come back. And I say that with a huge amount of respect for everybody involved in that show, because I love the show. But I, I really had no idea how they were going to, you know what I mean? Like, if they did, you know, it would just be, it would become too hard, in my opinion, to try to top what they did. It was literally yeah. that good. Um, and that's after a very shaky like first few episodes of, where it was like, eh. And then once you realize that it was all tying together to this anyway, it was really fucking fantastic. Um, but so if you get a chance, I would say I know it's on Netflix streaming here in the States, 
But um, you might want to check and see if it's available on Netflix over there. Because um, I remember that was the big thing is FX won't is release it on DVD. We've only had Netflix since February. The- oh, really? So they are catching up. Yeah. Yeah, it's only launched. We have another service that essentially does what Netflix does in the US called Love Film, which is owned by Amazon. And that does the sort of postage DVD rental. Ah. And then they've now gone into streaming. But Netflix have come over here and only do streaming over here. And they are hands down better streaming, better quality, better sort of connections and things than Love Film. They have Netflix have better TV content, but Love Film have better film and movies. Um, but they're both still very much in their infancy and they're trying <laughs> to get back catalogs together. That's where I've seen The Office US and a few and quite a few other shows I've never seen before I've picked up on um, Netflix. Man. But they are quite a lot behind, so the catalog isn't quite what you'd expect, although they are growing it quite well. Man, well... TV content. People who love films and movies are like, oh, this is shit because they're all out of date or they're all sort of the indie type, not so much indie type, but maybe the low-budget stuff that never really gets advertised on TV or in billboards. Not the sort of film you go, oh, that's coming out in the cinema, I'll go and see it. It's the sort of thing where you might see it in a bargain bin. Yeah. Okay. So film fans buy it, uh, sign up to Netflix and go, oh, this is crap. Whereas up preferring TV series, and I think, oh, I can watch six episodes of um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, or I can watch six seasons of The Office. They've got the first four seasons of Breaking Bad. They've got uh, Dexter, all that sort of stuff. They don't go up to a lot of the recent stuff, but they've got a, they're starting to get a decent selection. And if you like TV, there's enough there to keep you going for a while. It's only like equivalent to about $8 a month. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that because I think it's like seven ninety nine or now eight ninety nine or something similar to that. Yeah. Now, do you guys have Hulu over there? Nope. Uh, there were suggestions that they might try Hulu but I'm not sh- it just didn't start. We've got the main channels have their own on-demand service. So the BBC has its iPlayer, which I thought was quite nice that they've got the iPlayer. And I, I bet somebody somewhere at Apple's going, well, we have I everything. Um, <laughs> we also have, I, we also have a channel over here called ITV, which yeah. I was thinking, oh, they've got the iPod. They've got the I, iMac. They've got the iPhone. They've got the iPad. When they're going to bring out the ITV? Oh, they can't because we have a TV channel called ITV that's been around since like the 70s. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's just, there's a couple of companies, there's a, well, it's, you know, like Virgin with Richard Branson? Yeah. They have Virgin everything. There's a company over here called EasyJet that's like a cheap budget airline and they were creating a couple of other companies called Easy and I think there was a Sunday went to court or something and they were trying to say, well, a company name with Easy on it, we want the name Easy. Oh my or something. God. It was like, <laughs> it was stu- stupid sort of, similar to the Apple Samsung patent suits all over in America, which over here somewhat I laugh at because software can't be paid, patented the same way in the UK as it can in the US. Yeah. So over here, a lot of the issues regarding software patents are a non-starter in the UK because they just wouldn't get patents given. Oh, wow. That's interesting. But no, we, we have the BBC iPlayer which covers all BBC content apart from the old deals so they have deals with FX for Wilfred and they have deals with Fox for Family Guy and um, American Dad those aren't available on the iPlayer yet some of the other American import stuff is 
So, and then we've the other channels have got their own versions of on-demand streaming players, but there is no equivalent to Hulu. Oh wow! Well, I mean, I liked Hulu up until this last year, where they started making everything um, web-based or uh, everything web-based, or um, you know, or you had to wait like extra weeks and. What made me mad was that the the shows I'm talking about are like USA shows, which are shows that is owned by Universal. NBC Universal has a big stake in Hulu, so yeah. what the fuck? What I I don't understand that. Like I I know it's something probably to do with the production company and USA trying to be fair because I remember some shows like Fox. Um, it was a broadcasting thing on Fox where even though Universal owned House, you had to wait a week before you could watch an episode of House. And then, and yeah. now, but yeah, and it's sort of the same thing. It's like, no, something. They pulled the FX shows, didn't they? they uh, took a lot of the FX content off Hulu because when Hulu first opened, if I remember rightly, it had FX shows on it. Yes, they did have FX shows. Seems to be pulled off. Well, they had like uh, agreements where they would show like special previews of FX shows. So, like the season two premiere of Wilford, they had available online, but they pulled yeah. it after a week, and then you couldn't watch. You could maybe watch a trailer, but even then, it was not. I don't even think the trailer is there anymore. I could be wrong on that, but because it was something very similar, like, well, where the hell did it go? And there are some, it just drives me crazy because common law is on, on Hulu, but I can't watch it on my Xbox or my PS3 or my Blu-ray player. I have to fucking log online to watch. If I miss an episode, I have to watch it there. I'm like, that's fucking retarded. And now I have to wait like an extra week. Yeah, we have that. We have, there's um, a network over here, channel, um, channel four and they have, couple of other stations and they have the Amer- a lot of the american cbs comedies so they've got big bang theory how i met your mother two broke girls burgatory new girl they have a lot of these sort of comedies in that the younger uh, the sort of 18 to 45 yeah and they put a lot of the most of those online the weird thing is they put the cleveland show online but the bbc can't put fox uh, can't put fox's family guy or american dad online which to me just says whoever's in the negotiations thought, oh, this online stuff, we don't really need to bother about it, we'll leave it out of the contract. Well, that or they probably ask for way too much money because they know for a fact that's probably a bigger show. It is, but then again, BBC is a lot has a lot bigger budget than Channel 4 will ever have because BBC is... Oh, I don't know if you know, but we have to pay for the BBC to get the ads free. No. So... Over here, if you have a TV, you have to pay a TV license. The TV license goes to the BBC. Okay, uh, if you don't mind me asking, in US equivalent, what would that be? I don't, I don't know. You, if you have a TV, if you go to the store and buy a TV, yeah. What can you plug it in and watch TV without paying any sort of subscriptions to anything? Yeah, as long as you have an antenna or a digital box, yes. Yes, well, we, if you do that, over here and you don't have a TV license for your residence um, you can get fined and taken to court and things like that because it's like a ta- it's like a driver's license or a car tax disc that we have it's kind of a tax because if you want to watch live TV through a TV you have to have a TV license which is about 130 pounds a month I can't, is that, uh, 130 pounds a year which I can't remember is about 150 to 180 dollars somewhere like that per year and that's how the BBC is funded in the UK. So that's why they are completely free of advertisements across the board. So they're, they're up, their radio doesn't have any, they have loads of radio stations. 
they have what six or seven TV channels. They have HD channels. They do. Uh, they have their entire website has no advertisements and it's all free at the point of access. Well, I, I have uh, a question about this then. Because their money's coming from the TV license. Well, so if you have multiple TVs in your in your house or apartment, you have to pay a license per nope. TV. No, it's a one per household. Oh wow! But there is a loophole where the iPlayer, because it's not live streaming content, you can watch the iPlayer and consume all the content, listen to the radio, and use their website without paying a TV license because you're not listening, watching live television content. Ah. And and a lot of a lot of people want to get rid of the license because they say, "Well, I don't watch much BBC. If I just want to watch the commercial broadcasters, so uh, ITV <laughs> or Channel Four or Channel Five, they still have to pay the TV license, even though they don't watch BBC content. And then the license gets put into radio and gets put into building the, the BBC website is humongous. You will see it with ads on because everybody outside the UK does, but we see it all ad free and things like that." And that all comes out of the TV license, but they also use it. Obviously, they're usually at the forefront of sort of technological development in the UK for, in the TV area and, and radio. Well, that makes me question then. In the US, what do you? I wonder because that's me. Like, I would rather. Granted, I don't want to pay like over one hundred thirty dollars a year. Um, for, or you know what I mean? Like maybe unless they split it out over your cable bill, kind of thing. Then maybe I would, uh, because I already pay like a uh, hundred and something dollars for a month. That includes my my cable, though, my high speed internet cable, though, um, for my general cable and uh, my one H my one premium network. But uh, I would really, I mean, I would love if they could be uh, split up and paid spread out over the twelve months. I would totally do that for CBS, uh, ABC, and NBC, so I could just you know not get any commercials. You know, freaking awesome that would be, and. I think that it would maybe allow the studios a little bit more creative freedom to test and run and see what works and what doesn't work or just something. It's it's kind of like that with the BBC because it's a public service broadcaster and because it's funded publicly, they have to, in some respects, provide more a wider range of content because they know they've got to cater for the entire audience, not what's just commercially viable. Right. So you do get stuff on the BBC that um, the main channel BBC One is sort of mainstream, mainstream audience. Then they have BBC Two, which is where QI started. And it's it, they have a lot of, I don't know if you know what the Open University is, but the Open University is kind of, you can get a university degree from home. What? And anybody can do it at any stage in life. And it's they produce a lot of programming, so it's a lot of educational and intellectual programming. And that's a lot of what BBC Two is, and a lot of edgier stuff that might quite, but that tends not to be mainstream audience. Then they have their BBC Three, which is very much a younger audience. They have that's where Wilfred, Family Guy, American Dad go, and they have a lot of <laughs> British-made comedies that are aimed at a sort of late teen twenties, possibly thirties market. But a lot of older people, they don't expect them to like the shows because they're very aimed, at, they're very much aimed at a younger audience. And then they've got BBC Four, which is the very, I'd call it the very intellectual channel. A lot of their quiz shows and things, I've watched them and I'm like, I've got two questions right in the entire show. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Because they go for the very highbrow stuff. They'll show live theatrical performances. Mad Men started on there. And a lot of the 
oh, what's it called? From uh, the the original killing from Denmark started on there. Oh wow! And we have Fabrizio. <laughs> I forgot the date. Anyway, the date. The Scandinavian sort of cop dramas with us that are all subtitled tend to start on that channel as well. Oh wow! So they kind of, but they provide all that content because they're a public service and they're meant to provide content for different demographics. It's like one of their channels is the BBC Parliament, which has got 24-hour coverage pretty much of the Parliament, um, which is just a live stream, basically. But yeah, they do provide a, a wide, what you what consider a wider range of content and stuff that probably, if it was on a commercial channel, might not get picked up. Man. And, see, part of me, again, and maybe it's just grass is greener, but I, I would love to see maybe something like that with or maybe they had a version or like a premium version of CBS, NBC and ABC where, you know, they offer a version like that where you can get no commercials. And I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. Uh, you know, I, I would for any cable network. Cause I, I remember the day where the Disney network, Disney channel used to not have commercials and now they do. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Disney XD or just normal Disney Channel. They used to have no commercials, and now Disney Channel, I think, does have commercials. And it makes me a little sad. Granted, their shows are all crap now anyway. But, um, yeah, that's the other thing, too. I'm feeling like a, I'm feeling like a, I'm now turning into the old grumpy old man who's telling kids to get off his fucking lawn. Because back in my day growing up, Cartoon Network, for example, had Curse the Cowardly Dog in terms of original programming, Space Goes Coast to Coast, which is a really fucking weird show. Matter of fact, I'm watching Craig Ferguson and I'm like, this is literally the new version of Space Goes Coast to Coast. It makes no fucking sense. Weird shit's happening for no reason. And he interviews guests. That It's weird. But then you also have uh, <clears throat> uh, Cow and Chicken, all this other stuff. I can count on my hand, one hand, how many shows on Cartoon Network get me all Twitter to watch cartoons? And I used to love watching animation. Like, like now they have the fucking Looney Tunes show, which is horrible. Uh, they have, um, which it's a horrible rendition of the Looney Tunes. It makes me weak. Also, it's not the original Looney Tunes. No. It, the WB has a new version where it's like, a, it's like what if all the Looney Tunes characters live in suburban hell and they live, like, right next to each other? Like, Bugs and Daffy share a house and, like... Ugh. There's some somewhat yeah. comical moments in it, but like you're just stripping the characters away from what they are. The point I, I always thought the point with Looney Tunes is it was it was Loon, it was off the wall sort of it was random shit. Right. It was animation and it was it was the kind of thing where you give a kid a present and he plays with a box. Exactly. Exactly. And that that shit drives me crazy and and you know I, it just makes me makes me upset and weep that um, I, I remember like for example Kim Possible. I, I thought that was one of those shows that Disney, like, I, do, I should hate. But it's a very geeky show. I even got my dad into the show. And, you know, dad, because I know if you ever think of Kim Possible, you go, oh, it's a girl show. It really caters to both, like, girls and guys. Kind of like, you know, spy adventures, but comic book fans. And so, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the last Disney show I could honestly say I actively tried to watch. Nickelodeon, I'm only watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because uh, I'm a big Turtles fan. But even then... I felt indifferent about the the pilot episode, and I say that sadly because I really love the shit out of the vocal cast. You know, you have the pie fucker from American Pie, he plays Leonardo as Jason Biggs. Uh, you have the fat yeah. hobbit, uh, Sean Astin, who plays Raphael. You have the original Raphael from the 80s cartoon show, Rob Paulson, who plays Donatello. 
And then you have the guy from Teen Titans Beast Boy playing Michelangelo. You have a good vocal cast. You know, it's interesting enough. I just, it was okay. But that's what I'm saying. Like all the cartoons today, they just, they're just not, they're feeling like they're trying too hard. And that makes me sad. Is it because they feel they have to fill a lot of content? I don't know. We, all I can remember is when I was watching cartoons and sort of like watching kids TV, it was, we had, originally we had four channels to choose from. Yeah. And that was the entire thing on the TV, which I, I suppose now kind of makes you feel old, but then people before had less channels. But we had four channels, so when you come home from school, it'd be a couple of hours of kids TV, and then you'd get four or five hours kids TV on a Saturday morning and a few hours t- kids TV on a Sunday morning, and that was your lot. So what they here. put on had to be able to be memorable, and kids had to be able to get in to watch it because you didn't have all day to run through the crap to get to the good stuff. Right. And, and there tended to be a lot of... We got a fair bit. I guess some of it was American. I remember we had Cow and Chicken and we had Rugrats. Oh, right, And we right. had quite a lot of American stuff. And then I saw a... I, I remember I was like on one of those pages that said TV shows from my childhood and I was like going through and there was a link to a post about Rugrats where it was completely off the fucking wall where they'd worked out that Angelica was on... Her parents were getting divorced or something and... Rugrats was all in imagination or something, or that's what it was meant to be, or somebody yeah. had come up with this theory of how it was meant to be. And obviously, as a kid, you never ever think about it in that way. Oh no, totally not. But like, as in, like, if you go back and rewatch it, it, it holds up well. Um, almost like the old, uh, almost like the old Rocky and Boinkle shows. If you watch that as a kid, you're just going, "Oh, this is so great." They're just doing talking like this and being silly. If you watch it, some of the jokes are very like, whoa, even for, in terms, especially if you look at the, the time it came out, very, very above the rim kind of, you know. Did you, was the, did you ever see the raccoons? Was that Canadian? That was Canadian, but they showed it on the Disney channel. Because we had that and that was, I think that was used to be on a Saturday morning and that used to seem like some weird shit. It got really, really dark at points. Yeah. It totally did, and I love that show. Uh, it was a good show. It, it it was the Canadian version, in my opinion, of DuckTales. Yeah, but a lot darker. But, oh, yeah, totally a lot darker. And but, it, It's like we spent half the year in the dark, so we can make some dark comedy. It was, uh, yeah, it was, I, I enjoyed it, but at some points I kind of didn't really get it, but I guess I would have been, what, around 10, you know, sort of 8, 9, 10, 11, watching that. Yeah, like, like literally, it, before Mr. Burns came out, the the bad guy, Mr. Mr. Snort or something, he was like Mr. Burns before Mr. Burns came out, which is he was cruel for no reason sometimes, but then every once in a while they'll show him a little bit of vulnerability, so you feel bad for him and all this stuff. And you, I mean, it was very deep. I remember on YouTube just watching the theme song, and. Um, <clears throat> Just rewatching some like little clips here and there, I'm like, Jesus, this shit's dark. And yeah, I mean, still though, it was still really good. And um, but like the Disney Afternoon, I don't know how if it aired there for you guys, but the Disney Afternoon here was uh, Gummy Bears, Ducktales, Tailspin, uh, Chippendales Rescue Rangers, and then Darkwing Duck and Goof Troop. And uh, oh, and, and finally, it towards the end, Bonkers. And yeah, we had I think. We had all of them, or I saw all of them apart from Bonkers, but they were never kind of run consecutively. They were spread out on all over the place because obviously we had, I don't know whether you had the sort of 
kids game shows where you'd have loads of kids going on trying to win competitions and trying to win prizes and doing various bits and pieces throughout. On Nickelodeon they did, yeah. Yeah, well, we kind of had those on various channels and they would be interspersed with, they would kind of like sandwich between cartoons and, oh, okay. and put around and then the kids' TV shows on a Saturday morning. I don't know whether it, for us, Saturday morning kids' TV, there was two channels and they'd kind of compete against each other. Yeah. So for a couple of years, one channel would be you'd great, you'd watch it. One of them had, well, you have her over there now, Kat Dealey as a presenter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was a presenter on the, oh, what's it called? Um, I forgot what it's called now. But she was a presenter on Saturday mornings with Anton Deck. I don't know if you've ever heard of them over there, the double act from Newcastle. They do. They used to do the X Factor or what the equivalent was over here. Oh, okay. And they used to present all that sort of stuff, and they presented it with Kat Dealey. Oh, wow. And then they do, like, sort of <laughs> game show and little bits and little chats with the audience and have guests come in and then intersperse that with cartoons and kids' TV throughout. Well, I, I, I'm just saying if you ever go back and watch some of those old shows, the ones, like, my favorite growing up was Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It is one of the worst children's shows ever if you watch it now. <laughs> and I say that, and I remember I used to watch Tailspin, and, like, besides the Jungle Book characters being used, I did not like the show. And I didn't, I didn't like it. It was, I, I don't know why. Ducktales I loved, but everyone loved Ducktales. Gummy Bears, it was on at two o'clock, uh, and I was getting. We even at, when I was in middle school, I'd get home at two thirty, three o'clock, so I'd still miss it. And they didn't have DVR back then. But if you watch Gummy Bears now, it actually told a very complete story, like a beginning, middle, and end. And it would occasionally get dark for Disney, which was a big deal. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but Ducktales, Ducktales holds up really well. Gummy Bears holds up well. Tailspin, out of all things, holds up, is one of the best animated shows they've done. And I say that sincerely because there is a complete story almost from beginning to end of like story arcs throughout the season. And I don't know why I didn't like that back then. Maybe because I was just too, I was just a dumb fucking kid. But I, I, I swear to God, like, and I watch Chip and Dale's, and I'm like, this show is pure shit. And I love Chip and Dale. What the fuck, man? And then you watch, yeah, it's just so bizarre. It's so bizarre when you watch some of that. And like, obviously, I love Ninja Turtles, but I cannot watch the 80s show. Which I think over there was known as Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles because you couldn't say ninja and you can't show nunchucks, which I find to be ridiculous. But again, I'm sure there's weird shit. Oh, right. was, we can't say what, fuck on TV. Is so. that the name you had over there? No, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All oh, right, I can't remember. I, can't, I remember watching it um, quite a bit and I quite liked it, but I can't remember the title off the top of my head. Well, I, I just remember, like, one of the big things is that uh, it's one of the jokes, because uh, the first movie is very joke-laden, but when they changed the title over there, they had to change, like, the cartoon show, they had to change it to Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, because you can't say ninja for some weird re reason, and you can't show nunchucks. Like, you can show the bow, you can show the saw, you can show the katana, can't show nunchucks. So Michelangelo's whole thing where he's, like, like if you watch it online, I'm sure there's a clip of like if you watch, he's ordering pizza, and he's like, uh, like Splinter's trying to teach him all a lesson. He's taking his nunchuck and he's just casually twirling it around. And so the joke is he's not paying attention. That whole scene had to get cut out. So it doesn't make any sense if you watch. I remember someone saying if you watch the original British edit, it makes no sense because he's twirling his nunchuck around and they had to cut it out. And so Splinter gets oh. mad at Michelangelo for no reason. And then later on in the movie. He, this one foot soldier comes up and go, he starts winging his nunchuck around and Michael is like, a fellow chucker, eh? And, and they do like a little nunchuck competing contest. And finally he's like, that's it. And then the, the, it starts the attack. 
that got cut out of the movie. So it just looks like they stand around for a bit and then they just start attacking each other. <laughs> um, like what? Inter- it's, just, it's interesting. But again, we cannot say fuck on, on t- TV, you know, which I, or, you know, but yeah. we can show sex and tons of people getting murdered in horrible, glory, gloriously evil ways, but we can't say fuck or yeah. ass. Yeah. You kind of watch the British chat shows where you get the American guests on. Yeah. And the, like Graham Norton or the Jonathan, do you get Jonathan Ross over there? Uh, Jonathan Ross. I think he's on BBC America. My mom, I think, he's the one where he has some normal uh, people in the audience. They sit in a chair and then they get ejected or something. No, that's Graham Norton. Oh, that's Graham. I'm sorry, that's Graham Norton. No, we do not. I know, I know you get Graham Norton because there was a big thing. Originally, he was really, really edgy. He was on Channel 4, which was, was kind of the... the pitched themselves as an edgier channel. They tried to do edgier comedies and they tried to push the boundaries a lot more. Yeah. And he started off on there and then Jonathan Ross got kicked off the BBC and went to ITV because him and Russell Brand had an, oh, this big incident with a phone call where they ran Oh, up. that's who that is. Okay. Bad I remember the phone call. Towers. Yes. They rang him. Anyway, that went through the British press and it was uh, essentially it had no complaints. It went through and it went live on radio and they rang this guy up and did this prank call and basically all this sort of stuff. Didn't really get much, many complaints. Then one of the British newspapers that's kind of tailors to this sort of middle-class-ish nosy neighbour type. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Sort of up in that, sees something in the paper and is outraged by it because it's in the paper and because the paper's brought it to their attention now therefore they're outraged. But they'll just have to watch it just to make sure that they are outraged for the right reasons. <laughs> Once it got, it, it's called the Daily Mail. Um, yeah, I was about ready. To, I was about ready to guess that actually because I I do hear about the Daily Mail occasionally. <laughs> yeah, if you watch a lot of satire programs and people blo- they will tear strips off it. Um, anyway, it got running. They were di- basically outraged with the Daily Mail, so all of a sudden, loads of people watched it, and then loads of people subsequently complained, having not seen the live version, but having watched or listened to the sort of repeat online, they were now outraged. Um, so it blew up into this huge big thing and everybody was going up. Anyway, Jonathan Ross ended up, I think he ended up either getting sacked or mutual consent, but he left the BBC and to replace him with his late night chat show, the Brighton Graham Norton. And then there was the issue of, oh, it's going all Americanized because Graham Norton was going to be shown in America and they couldn't have a full guest list of small British actors or, in, or up-and-coming comedians because in a, an American audience wouldn't know who the hell these people they were talking to. So they'd every week they'd have one or two big American stars who were coming who would have a new release film or TV show or something of that ilk. Oh, wow. I, that's but, crazy. I, I See, that's... Man, no. I mean, okay, don't get me wrong. I would have rather... I, I mean, I'm sure at first it would be like, well, it would be great if you get a big star on there, but at the same time, it's like, no... You're, don't change yourself, man, for the big networks. Fuck that. I don't know. Some, for some reason, it's kind of it's quite nice because you get the big stars. Jonathan Ross used to have the big stars, but if they wanted, if there was a big UK film out that no one around the world cared about apart from us, he would have stars on like that. They'd have up and coming comics or whatever, and it would be quite British centric. But the Graham Norton show, it's still good, and I enjoy it. And you'll see some of the. American actors, Graham Norton will say fuck or something, and they'll be kind of shocked because they're not used to doing British TV and they're not sure what you can and can't say and what you can get away with on British TV. Right. Which is where I think 
the in-betweeners which has gone across to MTV uh, MTV yeah I, I saw that and as soon as the news sort of came out loads of British in-betweeners fans of which I am one were like oh no why are they remaking that it won't work and I know how MTV have to water stuff down yeah a lot of the time and the in-betweeners if you watch the sort of uncut British version it's it's, it's it got it got to be a really big hit in the UK because it was a TV show it only had six episode series and it only ran for three series a um, couple of series there's hardly any content out there but people, you love it and you can go back and watch more and more it was written by guys who were essentially writing what their teenage life was like yeah so it was pretty true to life the language was true to life you've got there's a, a I think have you have you seen any MTV <laughs> uh, yeah Jimmy got me to watch it and um, I didn't want to like it it's okay I mean it's not as good as awkward um Awkward's trying to tell a story a bit, a little bit too, while the Inbetweeners is just—I I don't know—like at least the U.S. version, it's it's okay. It's not—it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be, which was pure shit. It's actually mildly entertaining. It's not a horrible way to kill a half hour. Yeah, my problem with the, that sort of U.S.-U.K. thing is like they did with The Office. They, I've watched the first season season of the U.S. Office, and it is, oh, in horrible. my opinion, just crap it because is. they've tried to—they've tried to kind of take the British version and manipulate it to be an American version, whereas what they did, and I know you and Jimmy have said before that the later seasons of The Office, especially with Catherine Tate, which you don't like. Uh, which is weird because I bit, now love Catherine Tate, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, going downhill a bit, but like sort of season two, three, four, five of The American Office, I loved because it, its title was The Office, but it was its own show. Yes. It was kind of, right, We'll take the principle of the British show of having sort of a documentary crew filming an American office and we'll talk and we'll have all the staff in and things and we'll have similar sorts of characters, but they will be entirely written as an American show yeah. instead of trying to fit the same likes. And I think if I remember rightly, the first episode of The Inbetweeners on MTV was essentially word for word the British first episode, if I'm right. We haven't seen it over here yet. It's one of the... E4 have picked it up over here and they will be showing it at some point. We don't know when yet. Um, and seeing as E4 was the home of the British Inbetweeners, obviously ha most of the Inbetweeners fans watch E4 and I can't see them being too kind to the American version. They'll all watch it and then they will all gleefully rip it to shreds. <laughs> um, but there's... It's full of bad, bad language and swearing because that's what kids most do. teenage kids do like that. Like I think there's one scene, and I'm not sure whether the MTV have it, but they drive past in a car and they're hanging out the window shouting, bus wankers. Now, apparently that's been that's there, but it's slightly changed. And I'm not so sure... I don't think it'd have the same impact in America because, well, from what I know from what I've seen on TV, basically, and what I've read... You guys get cars a lot easier and a lot quicker when you're younger. Yeah, yeah, which is sort of true. We can get them around. Well, some people. I didn't get my car until I was like 18, but like some people get their driver's license at 15. Yeah, but it's 18 over here for us. If you've, that's your first car, that's young. Okay. So like we start, we can start learning to drive when we're 17. And I passed my test when I was, um, what was I? I was 19 when I passed my test. And then I got my car a bit later because of the obviously going to uni, going to uni and the cost of getting a car and things. And then the bus wanker scene was more because 
sort of teenage kids, 17, 18, 19, are probably going to have to take the bus to go places, to go into town, to go visit the friends or whatever. And then all of a sudden, these four guys, they have the shittiest car imaginable, but they have a car. And then they're driving past the guys who are on the bus. And it had more of an impact because, you know, that feeling where one or two people have managed to get a car before they were, when they were still seven, sort of 18, 19, and then everybody else is still having to catch the bus. Right. And while and the it, US... It was, sorry, go ahead. It sort of set... I, I got the impression that stuff like that sort of sells more in the UK because in the US it wouldn't have that sort of stigma attached to it of, oh, shit, I've got to go and catch the bus. Well, the U.S. version did a thing where um, they have a car, which is great, which is more than some kids, but at the same time, it's a shitty car, and then they destroy the shitty car, making it even shittier. So it, it's more of a, they're playing up the fact that of that. So that's the closest they get to it because, yeah, they it's the second episode. They get in the car, and they're trying to – the kid sees the girl he likes. He freaks out, and he backs up, and uh, the fat kid – um, who always, he's always lying about having sex and doing all this and that. He yeah, that's the other difference is, and in, in our version, I know who you mean. It's he isn't. He's, he's just he's always full of bullshit. But he isn't the fat kid. He's, he's not just, the fat kid. He's just a kid. Yeah, it's like the American versions. Ha- it feels like it had to tag him on as being the fat kid just to add another ounce to his personality. So he was making stuff up because he was the fat kid. Well, they introduced his dad in the last episode where you can sort of see that he's really just trying to or that's what I got they didn't really come right out and say it but his dad was actually very mean to him and because that yeah that's yeah was that like it is in the UK version where his dad's really mean to him yeah we we very rarely see his dad but his dad's kind of like yeah my son's full of bullshit yeah because and and you and you sort of get the sense that that's why he is that way um but I mean, again, it, it's 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 a little subtle, but they're too focused on trying to get laid anyway that you don't really. I mean, being an adult, you you, you and I are going to pay more. And Jimmy, we would we would pay more attention to that. But like for a teens who the audience who that show is built for, they're just going, oh, they're just trying to get laid. Isn't it funny? I'm just like, no, there's a good story here. There could be a good story here. I'm not saying it is a good story. I'm just saying there could be a good story here. You know, just. I don't know. I it's again. It's okay. I don't think it's like the best show ever. Um, and I, I I do want to see the British version. Um, cause I Have you seen fantastic. the British film yet? No, because that doesn't that take place after the series. Yeah, they finished all the series, and everybody. Well, I'll say everybody. It was like there was a big groundswell of opinion of we want them to be another series, and it was like, well, we're not doing another series. We're not going to do this sort of traditional role and follow them off to university or follow them off to getting jobs or leaving school we've done the in-betweeners it's the kind of middle of the road kids they've done it at school and that's it and then they've brought out a film and that got released over here or earlier this year i think may off time this year quite a while ago this year but only got released in the states a few weeks ago oh yeah and they were the, <laughs> the cast and that were across in america promoting it at various places but i'm not sure it got a huge release i think it was limited to certain cinemas yeah, I don't think it was big. I mean, I don't remember. I remember hearing there was a movie coming out, but I didn't know if it, it came out in theaters. Let me put it that way. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I put a tweet out. It came out a couple of months. Certainly, certainly. I think it was September time, mid-September. I bet you anything. That's when, because I think that's when the MTV show premiered. I bet you anything. The it MTV. Was just, it was just after. Oh, it was just after. Okay. And I'm not sure if it was aimed at being we'll try and get the mtv show to 
to get to a lot of the American audience will have seen the British version or the British film. So it's kind of we'll get MTV version out there, let them get used to that and see, look, this is the in between is the American version. And then we'll show you the better version. Yeah. I, well, that's how we kind of worked in my opinion of it's the better version. Yeah. The <laughs> so we can show it. But I think there's a lot of British shows where you feel like they've gone out on top office and in between us because they've only done a couple of series. I, I wish that Scrubs had done that. I wish that Scrubs had gone out on top rather than doing the final series, which compared to a lot of the earlier stuff was, for me, was quite a big letdown because it changed a lot when they went on to the sort of teaching. Oh, oh, totally, totally. Well, the teaching thing only lasted one season and even then it wasn't very... Um, yeah, the, the last season was horrible. I, I won't... Med school, that was absolutely horrible because... Um, when they said it was like the paper chase, I actually got sort of excited. Um, but then when I actually watched the show, it was nothing like the paper chase. It felt like something completely different. And <coughs> you had a wonderful ending arc for Zach Braff's JD, and then you brought him back and sort of undid the arc. And it was just like, what are you doing? Um, and I, and I granted, though, look, I, I'm not in the position of that Bill Lawrence was, and he's been on the show before, so I'm not going to slam, even though I'll be honest with him, I didn't care for Scrubs Med School. At the same time, yeah. though, he, he had the job of keeping people employed. I can't be mad at him for that. He's trying to be a good boss. Now, granted, at the sacrifice of a good show, ooh. <laughs> it would have been quite nice if they could have done, like, a complete spin-off. Yeah, and not just have but, it be, yeah. Sort of take one or two of the characters and kind of completely, sort of like Cheers did with Frasier. Yes. And see, I... And it kind of, a spin-off that works and that probably well I've never I've never really seen I'd seen Frasier before I'd seen Cheers and I haven't really seen fully seen Cheers but you've got that thing where they tried it with Joey and Friends and it didn't quite work although I kind of liked it on some level yeah Joey was okay on some level but it yeah but no I know what you mean though you want something that acts 100% as its own show um but it's a complete I mean it's literally a complete spin-off yeah yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. And um, and I agree, uh, because the way I understood it, it would be uh, Dr. Cox doing the paper chase. Like, he was the character you sort of follow, but he wouldn't be the lead. Um, he would be, which is, but then, you know, like, if you really think about it, that's what Scrubs was to begin with, was the paper chase, sort of, with Cox being that role. Um, but it was yeah. a little bit more, but, you know, I digress. It's, uh, I mean, because if you really want to get down to brass tacks, I think the... Seasons four or seasons five and six of Scrubs, uh, uh, and even seven were sort of weak compared to the first three um, because they got too silly with what it was doing. Now, granted, there were still very good episodes in there, but it got really silly. And then season eight got sort of serious again, and I really love that because you know, in the first three seasons or so, I can really tell you like some of the major emotional beats, and they're just standalone episodes. Where, you know, like the, my old lady, where the old lady dies and she tries to tell him about, you know, life and this and that. And and uh, the drug dealer uh, who I think shows up in season two and that whole thing. That's what I'm saying. There's some really good story arcs there. and But I digress. You know, it's just the ebb and flow of a TV show, sadly. Um, and it's whatever the showrunner thought was funny. So, awesome. And we have to, and, and the show overall is a lot better than a lot of the stuff on TV anyway. So I, I can't complain, really. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. 
Well, talking about, you know, about kids' TV shows, one that I wasn't aware of pretty much at all, but I don't know if on TV King I'm doing some sort of like trying to put together like li- top 10 lists yes, for the different writers yes. on TV King of their favourite shows and things like that. And one of the writers, Samantha Holloway, has provided me a list and one has a British show in that I've never heard of um, called Press Gang, which is about a group of sort of teenagers who have a school newspaper who then take take that into like a, try and create a proper newspaper after school um, um and i thought that was and funny enough that was written by stephen moffat uh, um, and that's what got her into following stephen moffat's sort of writing oh wow before she saw doctor who so he does have you see sort of the creators he follow through like i've followed from sons of anarchy i like kurt sutter so i've gone and looked at his other stuff i found the shield so i've then looked at sean ryan's other stuff and I liked Scrubs, so then I looked at... Yeah. I gave Cougar Town a chance because it had Bill Lawrence. And it's that sort of thing where you like a show, so quite often you follow the guy who or the person who created that show. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, I, I think this whole movement, um, at least in my opinion, was started, at least in the States, sort of by... It was the beginning of it. It was Kevin Smith, because even though you know that's movies, not television, but he he was the one that was really going out there and just being just one hundred percent vocal and talking to the audience. And then, and I said this to Lawrence during one of our interviews, and I, I think he was just like, "Well, you're being too kiss assy," but because um, he doesn't like praise of any sort, really. But uh, which I understand. Like, look, if someone started praising me uh, talking, I'm like, "Yeah, okay, 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 stop, 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 stop." Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it can backfire a lot of times. No, right, and and but uh, the whole thing of uh, of he was, in my opinion, he's like one of the first big TV versions of Kevin Smith, which is he he would go out and like he he's one of the few show creators I know that went on a message board and started talking to fans. Like that's how we got him on the show, for God's sakes. Or or then he joined Twitter. And like you know, there are some commun- uh, creators like Dan Harmon who did it right from the get go. But I'm talking about established major writers that have had shows on the air, that've been around the business, or you know, had a good hit, I should say. Because besides, I think Harmon only really had in terms of TV the Sarah Silverman program. No disrespect to Harmon, but I'm just saying he he like you know Lawrence has done Spin City, blah blah blah. He was out there and vocal with the audience and and always asking. So I just find that to be. And now that's the new culture is that everyone's trying to reach out there and talk with the audience or talk with their, their critics and the audience members, the fans. And, you know, because they know if they do that, you know, you just open the floodgates because there's this untapped thing that the networks have never really paid attention to, which is before is like, if you care about your fans, like your fans care about you and your show, you might have something, you know? Yeah, well, I know Kurt Sutter does that for Sons of Anarchy and they're yes. in the fifth season and they're growing. And... Part of that has to be down to the fact that he connects with the. You have huge, massive fan base, but then if he connects with the fans, you, they kind of get added impetus to then drive more people to the show because they know that the show creator cares about not only the show but cares about the fans. Exactly. And they're showing that they care because they're taking the time out to interact with them. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um. Well, we've we've covered a large gamut here. Of, of, of a lot. I mean, we've covered like just so many things um, from Doctor Who to just general television and show creators. Um, but I think right now is probably a good t- place to, to, to stop our, our little chat. Um, and uh, uh, Chris, we'll have to have you back on so we can continue this more. Maybe even get Jimmy in here too, um, or Jerome, uh, as he sometimes goes by. And we, we can all uh, just uh, shoot the shit and talk TV. Um, but uh, 
uh, you can check out Chris's website. Uh, we'll have my articles. Uh, I believe uh, the other writer you mentioned, Sarah, is she's on there. Jerome is um, on there. Uh, Samantha. Or Samantha. Samantha. Oh, sorry, sorry, Samantha. <laughs> um, uh, my stuff's on there, but there's tons of articles. You, so it also helps you uh, find television shows that you want to stream or how you can stream them online legally. Um, so that's thetvking.com. You can check out Chris's site. Uh, he is the TV King and he organizes all that. So, uh, it's a lot of hard work. So we appreciate him doing that. And he knows his television as you just heard for the past hour or so. Um, if you heard anything on the show tonight, you want to hear on the podcast or you want to ask us about 614-364-4088 or email us at goodbaggeeky at gmail.com. Uh, Chris, was there anything else you want to plug or mention before you go? Yeah, we're, we're on Facebook. Um, it's the TV com on Facebook and then the TV King on Twitter where you can get in touch and it will be me, not some sort of big network executive where they paid some social media manager to go on and do the three hours a day or whatever. So ask me anything you want on there and you'll get some random ramblings from me on Twitter. Well, there you go. Uh, the TV King. And also, uh, uh, I put them out on my follow Fridays. So, uh, which I do once a month. So, or you might see me, uh, post links for on, on my Twitter feed too, at good bag. So, um, if for whatever reason, you're just too lazy and you follow me, but you, you don't know, you don't want to type in, you know, just look at my Twitter feed and be lazy that way. That way you can follow Chris's stuff, find out all what's going on with the TV King and still be happily lazy. So, uh, thanks Chris for coming on our show. We greatly appreciate it. We'll have you back here again soon. And, uh, thanks for listening. No problem. Get out of here with that cheese! You're a creep! Go away! We're having a good time until you start up, cheapers! Go have some coffee with cream or something! Because I'll tell you something! This is a happy place! What the fuck am I supposed to say? <laughs> what the song is that?